back to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we're going to have another very interesting show, as I have invited back to join us in a roundtable, my dear friend and colleague, Rick Ulfick, who is the founder of We the World and the We Campaign. Rick has been on the track of creating a better world, quite honestly, for decades. We met originally through the United Nations, a a peace task force we were part of, and we've been friends and connected ever since. Rick has been involved deeply in different types of initiatives to bring greater awareness, greater education, and greater action to different spots literally across the world with help from people like Desmond Tutu, Deepak Chopra, and many others in many of Rick's activities through We the World and the We Campaign. Well, again, at this season, he is officiating 11 Days of Global Unity, which is the name of today's roundtable. And indeed, we have a few distinguished guests to help us unpack what this is about, what this deeply educational type of online seminar is going to be bringing forward, and you'll be able to learn about the details of it. So if you would like to call in and be part of it and listen and learn to people who are doing remarkable activities across the world, deep, deep work around justice, economic justice, women's justice, girls' justice, peace justice, ecological justice, environmental, you have come to the right place. So, first of all, just a couple of words about our other guests here. Uh, We'll be joined by Sandy Hart, who is the director of the Women and Girls Sector of Charter for Compassion International. The mother of two, she is also the president of Sarah. She's surrounded by women. Spiritual and Religious Alliance for Hope, that stands for, Women's Interfaith Organization. She's the past chair of the North American Region of the United Religions Initiative, founder of Compassionate California, and member of the international team for the One Humanity Institute Auschwitz Project. And we had uh, Nina... Myrahoff on uh, some time ago, again through Rick, talking about this work and 11 Days of Global Unity back a couple of years ago. We're also going to be joined by Philip Helmick, who is the Director of Peace at the Shift Network. Philip has been a guest on a couple of times with Rick on the uh, 11 Days of Global Unity Roundtable, and he is an international social enterprise entrepreneur mobilizing educational tools and cultivating alliances worldwide. He also served for four years as a Peace Corps volunteer in Sierra Leone, where he lived and worked in a small remote bush village, or several actually. A published writer, Philip is the author of God and Conflict, A Search for Peace in a Time of Crisis, with a foreword by Lama Surya Das is also a good friend of a better world here. Philip also serves as advisor to the Global Peace Initiative of Women. So honestly, I would like to first start by handing this over to Rick, and I'd like you to just fill us in, Rick, if you would, with some of the details and the logistics, how people can tune in 
to the 11 Days of Global Unity activity that's uh, that's about to be underway starting September 11th. Welcome, first of all. Good to have you again. Yes. Oh, it's great to be on the show again with you. Mitchell, this is fabulous, and thank you for all the work that you've been doing over the years to help create a better world. Sure. So, uh, pleasure. Oh, yeah. yes, it's, it's wonderful. So yeah. uh, maybe I'll say a, a little, little sketch bit. of uh, how people can tune in and sort of the, sure. uh, the overall landscape. Yeah, exactly. So uh, basically, uh, you know, my organization is We the World, and, and we're a global coalition building nonprofit organization uh, that uh, annually we connect and promote thousands of socially conscious organizations and businesses to amplify their efforts and generate public awareness and action. Uh, So it's all about bringing people together to create a better world. And I guess our biggest program that we've done is called 11 Days of Global Unity. And 11 Days is a worldwide convergence of events, festivals, campaigns, broadcasts, linking local awareness and action activities into an inspiring international movement for peace, justice, sustainability, and transformation. So people can get involved with that uh, very easily by going to we.net. Um, that's, where, uh, that's where the action is. There's, that, there are uh, links to everything there. And probably the, the, the most um, prominent part of 11 Days of Global Unity is what we call the 11 Days of Global Unity Telesummit. And we're partnering with the Shift Network on this Telesummit, and we'll be hearing from Philip Helmich uh, later because uh, we've been doing this for a few years, and it's getting bigger and better each year. So uh, basically, the 11 Days of Global Unity Telesummit is an opportunity for the most visionary thinkers and activists on the planet speaking about what they're doing and engaging and inspiring people within each of the 11 themes. So there are 11 themes that go with the 11 Days of Global Unity. And uh, so, for example, uh, the opening theme is unity, and Marianne Williamson will be speaking on unity, and especially why is unity so important now for America and for the world. Um, so, and in fact, that's a subject that maybe we can all be talking about in the, in the roundtable later today on this show. Um, so, so uh, she'll be talking, uh, she's on unity, a uh, few other people that you might know, uh, Robert Thurman is going to be speaking on Tibet and human rights, what the situation that, uh, of human rights with Tibet, but also uh, it's really wonderful to hear his stories about the Dalai Lama. He's been a close associate of the Dalai Lama, and he kind of lays out how the Dalai Lama has been, uh, uh, you know, the role of the Dalai Lama in uh, modern-day Tibet and the whole situation there is very interesting. Uh, we'll hear from uh, Ralph Nader on uh, freedom, uh, which is amazing. Uh, his incredible legacy includes the Clean Water Act, uh, 
the Freedom of Information Act, the Consumer Product Safety Act, and uh, and he is the reason why we all have seatbelts in our cars and we all see those food ingredient labels on every piece of food that we buy. That's all due to uh, Ralph Nader's efforts. So he's uh, talking about that on the Telesummit as well. And closing One of my heroes, Rick. Ralph is oh, one great. of my real heroes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely. He's been on, and I just, you know, he's such an advocate for Americans and for people. And I, exactly. I so wish he won the presidency a few times, that's all. <laughs> yeah, we'd have a different world if that, was, if that yes, happened. Exactly, um, so, very true. Um, closing the, the Telesummit is Deepak Chopra, Ken, uh, Karena Gore, and Kabir Segal. Karena Gore is is Al Gore's daughter, and she has an organization called Earth Ethics. She's kind of following in the family tradition, talking about climate change and the environment. Um, and Deepak and uh, this guy Kabir Kabir Segal are collaborating on an incredible project called Home, where everyone is welcome. And they talk about this on the uh, Telesummit, it's basically a tribute to immigrants focused on the United States immigrants. And that couldn't be happening at a a more relevant time now where um, immigration is such a flashpoint issue in in the United States. Um, So all in all, this Telesummit is just incredible, and we encourage everyone to Sign up. It's very simple. It's free. It'll take you about 20 seconds. You just have to put your email address in. And you can see links at we.net. And, in fact, we have all our partners at we.net. But right, right near the top of the home page, you'll see the, the 11 Days of Global Unity Telesummit. So thank Wonderful. you again, Mitchell. Wonderful. You're so welcome, Rick. I love the work you're doing, and we're all, we're all in this together. I always have to remind people that you know we're actually part of a a big movement an international movement and i love the way uh paul hawken described that in a bioneers talk he gave a couple of years back that's used by a place where i do some teaching the pachamama alliance and the awakening the dreamer uh seminar and he basically says that there is a superpower in this world that is not designated by boundary it is not defined by nation and that superpower is bigger than any other power that this planet has ever seen outside of the natural world actually we're not separate from of course but that's us we are the superpower it's not the united states it is not china it is not russia it is not india it is no nation as we know a nation but it is the people themselves, we ourselves, that we are the superpower, and we are the ones making change that need to be made to create a world of peace, a world of love, honestly, a world of equality, and a world that's sustainable. So I just, uh, blessed unrest, in that book, he lists literally thousands in his talk, I should say, Thousands of organizations, NGOs, B corporations, C corporations, 501c3s, the outer vehicle doesn't matter, 
but the inner commitment and intention is powerful and it's helping people all over the world. So yeah. on that note, I would love to uh, open this up to uh, our other roundtable guests, Sandy Hart and Philip Helmich. So, uh, Sandy, hi. Welcome to A Better World. Uh, pleasure to have you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your program. You're so welcome. Now, you've been doing some very deep work with women and with girls and helping to bring the role of this gender that has been altogether too chastised and minimized um, to greater bearing on the planet. Could you talk to us a little bit Mm -hmm. about the initiatives you are currently working on? Well, um, really, you know, after the events of 9-11, I I woke up, actually the morning of, I woke up to a really a new understanding of the world um, and something really jostled inside me. Actually, I became rewired and I heard gather Mm -hmm. the women. So perhaps it was that superpower, you know, calling my name or tapping me on the the shoulder or more like it, uh, you know, sweeping me off my feet. And I really didn't have a lot of control over it. And um, and and I became increasingly more important for me to bring women together. I later came to learn that that was our biological innate imperative to to uh, for women to gather when when you know tension is arise. You know we circle the wagons and we protect our babies and we do what it takes um, to heal our community and our world. And so it's that's what I'm responding to. I don't know if I have an awful lot of choice in the matter personally. I know and I speak to a lot of women who express the exact same feeling. There is definitely a feminine rising and that's in both men and women. This is not a gender specific calling. Um, and so um, it was actually um, my, my, what manifested immediately after 9-11 was uh, the women's group, Sarah, that you mentioned, a spiritual and religious alliance for hope. And we start with dialogue. We start with ourselves. We start with uh, difficult dialogues. We start with uh, food. We start with coming together and and Mm -hmm. surrounding and protecting one another in circle. Uh, But it doesn't take long for us to recognize the the power that we have in our community. And so we took that to the streets um, in the manner of community service, uh, panel discussions, convening more difficult dialogues, um, and, and we're not just talking about for men and women, uh, but um, this is something that, you know, I always say, um, Sarah showed up, I opened up my door and got out of the way, and all of our leadership subscribes to that, you know, that philosophy, and that's our creed, is, you know, we listen very carefully to what wants to happen, and um, and, and honestly, for we just celebrated 15 years, and I have to say that the sisterhood um, and there are about 900 of us now around the world. The sisterhood that's developed um, is so free of tension and ego and, um, and um, you know, some of those things that prevent us from really bringing our authentic selves to the table and manifesting true healing in our community. And I really believe it's because we agree to meet at the place of our highest and our deepest values. So it was through Sarah that I became aware of the Charter for Compassion and um, the idea of creating a city of compassion was really compelling to us, but we couldn't decide whose city, so we said, let's just do them all in California. 
until we can say we live in a state of compassion, literally and figuratively. And so we're, we're, yeah, yeah, that was about six or seven years ago. And that's taken on a, you know, it's moved outside of Sarah now. It doesn't belong to Sarah. It's in the hands of a whole nother team. But um, we're getting closer and closer. We have about 20 cities of compassion here. And, um, And then one day I was on a, a volunteer staff call with the executive director and the the team now that is at the charter for compassion. And it just sort of dawned on me, where are the women? You know, women are scattered throughout the charter. The charter for compassion, I'll tell you, uh, is this global thriving network. That's all um, um, that's inspired by the charter for compassion. That was the result of Karen Armstrong's Ted, prize-winning TED Talk. She won $100,000 for this compelling argument that compassion is the driving force or should be the driving force of healing in our world and that it's Mm -hmm. something that we all have and it transcends religion. And by the way, you know, she even goes on so subtly to mention that she doesn't think religions are really doing a good enough job at remembering this. Um, I said that, she didn't, but that's that's what inspired me most. And um, and so then cities of compassion, these are mayors and city councils and local citizens uh, locking arms and working together and creating a city of compassion. Um, and then partners started showing now, up. Is there a ver- you said that, there, uh-huh. you said, Sandy, that there are 20 cities in California that are yeah. named, called, Cities in compassion. How does how do you characterize those cities distinct from others in this respect? Mm-hmm. What makes these, are, these particular these are cities, cities Yeah. Thank you. And some are affirmed, and some are in the process, but we still consider them compassionate cities because being mm-hmm. a compassionate city is not the destination. Um, a, a compassionate yeah. city is an uncomfortable city, is how we phrase it. Um, but um, mm. the, to what makes a city of compassion is there's actual toolkit on the website but that goes into it much more deeply, but really, and the website in is essence, what? charterforcompassion.org. Okay. And um, right. what happens is a, a working group of committed citizens come together that are stakeholders of the community. These are people who are passionate about addressing our common issues of our community. Then we invite in the law enforcement and education and mayor and city council and a collectively write a proclamation that we commit to a plan of, a plan of action, that we are going to address our collective problems with our collective solutions. Because that's really what it's going to take right now is that collective impact. It's going to take education sure. to heal the environment and environment to heal homelessness and homelessness to, to heal domestic violence. And it's just all interrelated. So where, where is the intersectionality of us all? And where can we address our common problems and what can we bring to the table collectively to do together, do better together? And so um, when that is affirmed, that city goes to work, and that's what a city of compassion is. Then they are immediately woven into the fabric so of what, the entire charter. So could you name a few cities? Could you, In Sandy, California? name uh, a couple of cities that are currently deemed uh, cities of compassion? Well, in California, they're, um, the city of, compa- um, of uh, Huntington Beach, 
is an affirmed city mm-hmm. of compassion. And I also will tell you, it wasn't too long ago that Silicon Valley um, has a, um, started working on a county of compassion where the Board of Supervisors have affirmed the charter and committed to uh, 15 cities of compassion moving forward in the Silicon Valley area. Uh, another affirmed Wonderful. city is in Redlands. California. So um, Los Angeles is um, certainly on the radar. Um, but I will tell you, we are one of – California is – that's just within California. There are 400 cities of compassion all around the world, which includes Pakistan and, um, and, and cities in Jordan. And, and because it's such a scalable model, it can go from a city or a hamlet to a village or a county. Mm-hmm. And as I've demonstrated now, a, a state of compassion. Um, I'm holding mm-hmm. out for a planet of compassion <laughs> um, where yeah, everybody commits to these binding of values course. of compassion. Yeah, that's beautiful. We're mm-hmm. going to circle back to you. Thank you. But I want to bring Philip Helmick into the conversation here because – Everyone here in this roundtable's work is so overlapping and interfacing, and it's just mm. it's beautiful to see how how that shows up. So, uh, thank you so much for all that, Sandy Hart. It's it's beautiful. We'll we're coming back to you soon, Philip, my dear friend. Welcome to a better world. <laughs> uh, Mitchell, thank you so much. It's really nice to be with you again, my friend, and a better world. It's, it's a wonderful initiative. It's really nice to be here with our good friends Sandy and and Rick. Um, yeah, and yes, indeed. you mentioned that there's a lot of a lot of overlap, and I think that's one of the joyful things about um, you know th- this rising tide of people becoming more and more active, or the relationships and friendships and the synergies and the collaborations. And yeah, you know, I just love the work that Sandy and Rick are doing, and just it's really nice to be in community with them. Indeed. So, um, indeed. So, how so have just you been forwarding the action? I mean, you're deeply involved with a co-founder of the Shift Network. That is a major voice among many. Um, what What would you say your is really um, central to what you are spending your time and energy on now, Philip? Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Well, actually, I'm um, serve as the director piece. The co-founders are Stephen Dine and his wife, Deva Haley, yeah. Haley Mitchell. But, you know, the, the, the key part here of the Shift Network is really looking at how people can you know, basically awaken, whatever you want to call it, awaken to their own state of divinity, awaken, awaken to their, their highest spiritual potentials, and then to take meaningful, inspired action. And with, with the peace efforts over the last six years, you know, partnering with Rick and Sandy, the Compassion Games and others, we've been able yes. to get a bird's eye view of, of looking at peace from, as we like to say, creating a new ancient narrative of peace from inner peace to international peace building. So we've interviewed several hundred people and we've placed these into a world peace library. As far as I know, it's the first, first, online resource of this nature that really maps out the emergence of peace, you know, from these different levels, looking at inner peace, interpersonal, uh, interpersonal family, community level, international, planetary, and across 20-some different sectors of society. So from this bird's eye view, you know, you talk about the blessed unrest and so forth, you know, all of this Mm -hmm. that's emerging, 
we can really see that over the last several decades, and some people would say over the last 200 years, there's been, there's been a growth of a global peace system that's been quietly emerging. And, and particularly the last few decades, there's been just an exponential growth of all these different ways that people can approach peace and compassion. And, and you can see, and we particularly like bringing a focus to the inner dimensions, uh, looking at science and spirituality. We've partnered a lot with Stanford University and, you know, um, mm-hmm. and other groups looking, looking at the science of compassion and forgiveness and tolerance and, and how that overlaps with spirituality and looking at the ancient roots. You know, I've been to India three times the last, last three years, going to the bank of the Ganges, interviewing world-renowned yoga teachers and swamis and swaminis. And so from this bird's eye view, we, we really have a creative look at these dynamic intersections. And we can see that there is this impulse that comes from the human heart, soul, whatever you want to call it. And it is expressing itself through each different individual in their own cultural context. And there's really now grounded, solid technologies of peace-building technologies and and this is the part I think is really exciting is the intersection between the emerging peace building field, ancient science of spirituality, and modern science of particularly neuroscience. And mm-hmm. with and, and so we part, that's what I was supposing as I was listening to you speak about the science of compassion. I was thinking yeah. you would have to be looking at neuroscience to kind of uh, right. unpack that. Yeah. Right. In other words, right. what's it, what's exactly. happening in the brain and what's happening in the entire nervous system and physiology uh, when people right. practice, let's call it the art of compassion. Right, right, right. And and that's that's the part that's really exciting. And, and I want to point out one of yeah. our partners, the Alliance for Peace Building, which it, it's an association of over a hundred peace building organizations around the world. It's, it's one of the most most reputable solid, grounded peace-building groups. You know, prior to this administration, they were advising the State Department, the White House, and U.S. Mm-hmm. They, have a, they have a project called, called Rewiring the Brain for Peace, looking at that mm-hmm. intersection of peace-building, oh, neuroscience, beautiful. and spirituality. And, and so yeah. there's so much dynamic, dynamic um, just dynamic discoveries and, and actions being taken – and, and, and the reason we say creating a new and really ancient narrative, everyone says that world peace starts with inner peace. Well, it's kind of a big gap between inner peace and world peace. And yet with this world peace library and summits like, you know, um, the 11 days of global unity, we just also had another one looking at inspiring positive social change. A narrative is really key is that we can really show it. Wow. There is a direct relationship between inner and international in in previous shows. I've talked about inner peace being a global responsibility. You know, I could say more about Mm -hmm. that in a minute, but, but the the key part is narrative because if we, if we just watch the news, mainstream news, whether CNN or Fox, the narrative is holy I mean, just everything is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, it, you know there's, sure. there's extreme polarization, there's this and that. But with programs like A Better World, 11 Days of Global Unity Summit, you know, the, the World Peace Library, mm-hmm. we can point to a narrative that the best, you know, humanity is, as Sandy said, we are wired for compassion, tolerance, forgiveness. We're also sure. wired for a fight, fight, and please. And yet yeah. – the narrative is we do have the technologies. We have ancient science, modern science, peace building, and there are these 
millions and millions of people taking inspired action, many people embodying peace while acting for peace, that we have this narrative that there's a lot of good that's happening in the world. There's a lot of potential. Yes, there's a lot of dangers, a lot of threat, there's a lot of polarization, there's violence, and there's a lot of good, creative, grounded, practical, cost-effective ways of transforming difficult situations. So that's the narrative. And I think it's really important that we're walking around with a narrative of like, oh, my God, there's so much positive in the world. It's grounded, again, grounded, practical, not airy-fairy, and I could be part of that. And I think the narrative, again, of really linking the inner peace with, with the global, I think it's really important. And let me just touch on that in three ways, just briefly, because sure. in previous programs I mentioned, you know, having lived in Sierra Leone prior to the war and then going back during the war on peacebuilding missions, you know, and seeing mm-hmm. the impact of child soldiers on, you know, some of my friends were killed, raped, and so forth, you know, villages sacked, and seeing how that war was fueled in part by a global economy that is consume, 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 look outside of ourselves. And you, if you look deeper to that, you can see there's really a spiritual crisis that fuels the Western pursuit of happiness. And so you can see this lack of inner peace on a global level through massive consumerism leads to mm-hmm. environmental de- degradation. It also leads to um, it also leads to fueling conflicts like the one in Australia and other parts. So that's one aspect of inner peace being a global responsibility. The second aspect is when we start to go into ourselves and we start to use these ancient sciences, whether it's yoga, mindfulness, meditation, combining that with compassion process, we awaken our own innate capacity for compassion, tolerance, forgiveness. And this is documented. I could point to, you know, the work, work of Richard Miller, who's working with veterans with PTSD using Nidra Yoga. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we can look at which part of the brain is activated. So that's the second sure. part is it awakens us to our innate compassions and also awakens us to our life purpose in this moment connected to a larger whole. The third part of it, which gets really profound, and this is where science and spirituality where it really comes together, and there's a talk by Llewellyn Von Lee, the Sufi mystic, talking with Silicon Valley people, saying that when we go into these deeper states of consciousness, we access information that is readily available. And we can find creative solutions. And Silicon Valley people are starting to recognize meditation and these, these types of practices lead to innovation. Mm-hmm. So inner peace is a global responsibility because, A, lack of inner peace leads to destruction in the world. Two, it awakens us to compassion in our life purpose, our own unique expression in the world connected to a larger intelligence. The people in India, India would say it's a universal intelligence. And the third part is that universal intelligence can give us insights to problems and, you know, give us solutions. And, and I can point to many, many examples that really ground this. I mean, the book, The Surrender Experiment, New York Times bestselling book by Michael Singer is just a beautiful example of a person mm-hmm. following that inner intelligence to do groundbreaking, you know, work and, and soft, you know, software development. So, so at the Shift Network, you know, we, the coin of phrase that we learned from Rick Alfick is, you know, the key is to inspire, inform, and involve. And yeah. it's through these summits like, you know, like the work you're doing, the, the 11 Days of Global Unity, to inspire, inform, and then invite people to get involved in a way that's meaningful for them. And, again, by pointing people into 
doing the inner work of transformation. The shift network is really keen on that. Do the inner work of transformation and then take inspired action that's key to who your, what your sole purpose is in this life. And then we accelerate this larger wave of the blessed unrest. So that's, that's mm-hmm. just in a nutshell. There's, you know, we do summits, we do online courses, we partner with the Compassion Games, we partner with uh, Rick Alfake and We the World, we partner with a wide range of folks to really to see how we can accelerate this, this narrative of inner peace to international peace building. Oh, my God. Philip, thank you so much for all that. That's just inspiring, informing, and uplifting. <laughs> Those interestingly are the same <laughs> motto as we have here at A Better World. I guess that's very surprising, isn't it? Um, you inspired me to uh, think of a couple of uh, points as you were speaking, as all of you were speaking, is this impulse that we speak about toward uh, each other, toward love, toward compassion, toward understanding, toward service. Uh, was kind of described by Joseph Campbell many years ago with a very interesting little uh, vignette where he talks about or talked about uh, standing on a street corner in midtown Manhattan, uh, ready to cross the street, and the fellow next to you, total stranger according to normal definitions, starts walking into the street by mistake, uh, you know, without seeing an oncoming bus. Well, isn't it interesting that there is this impulse that races through us to grab out and pull that person back, what we call a total stranger, but one another member of our species. And we are, there's something in us programmed, wired, as it were, that will put our own life at risk to help another person who we've never seen before in our lives. That's one way of describing that phenomenon and how far it goes. Even take a look at what's going on in Houston right now in Louisiana, where people are coming in from different states as well as people from other parts of Texas, and they're risking their lives in boats and cars and every single which way to help people they've never seen before, they never met before, and may never meet again of every single shape, color, size, and you name it, religious affiliation. Those are not the questions people are asking. They are saying, are you, do you need help? Or I see you need help and yanking them out of the water or trapped in a car or what have you. It's, it's remarkable, and we're seeing this right before our very eyes right now. And people, interesting, uh, one of my colleagues and mentors, Gary Nolt, was saying just today on his radio show that a lot of the people talk about our collective prejudice um, that are doing a lot of the good work in helping others. We have a generic term for, and it tends to be, quote, redneck. It's people that... Mm we often ascribe other characteristics to, let me go with that, Um, and yet oftentimes it's those people exactly who are ready and willing to lend a helping hand when it's needed. So that's, that's one point I wanted to make in response to listening to all three of you, actually. And another one, before I open it up again for all here, uh, is this idea, I was thinking about it, Philip, as you were speaking, of consensus. You 
speak about a narrative and what narrative of all the ones that we want to author do we want to stand by? And surely it's one of peace and love and compassion, you know, like we used to put our fingers up in in the 60s, you know, peace, brother. And that's the one we wanted, the story we want to tell about our lives on the planet. And when we pass, we want to be known for having stood up for the cause of peace and brotherhood and sisterhood and and compassion. Well, I am a firm believer in viral stories that we tell mm. that spread like wildfire around the world. Sometimes we need a little humor. Oftentimes we need a light touch because these subjects can tend to get very heavy. And I think they lose some of their power when they get a little too heavy and uh, they need to lighten up and it's a story that everyone wants to be a solution everyone wants to be part of and then as you were saying the brain the entire physical body follows suit by lining up with a stronger immune system with a coherent mind with a coherent heart and more energy so it, it's all a loop. It's a very interesting loop. If we can continue to build consensus around peace instead of what is currently what we inherit from mainstream media, et cetera, is the narrative about, as you were saying before, fear and war as solutions mm-hmm. to our current demise, dilemma, situation. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts. Rick, anyone, yeah. please jump in now, and let's have yeah. a roundtable. Well, um, I, I think uh, creating a new story is, is, for humanity is something all of us uh, today on this show are, are engaged with. And, you know, with We the World, Very we, true. We, we think of it as we, the, the, we consciousness and the common good, and where the well-being of each person and the entire web, web of life is essential to the well-being of of all. Um, And I wanted to mention uh, or express a little gratitude to Sandy, Sandy Hart, um, because, uh, Philip, you were talking about synergies and how that's so important these days. And Sandy was the person who brought the 11 Days of Global Unity to the Compassion games uh, with the idea of putting the, the compassion games on the 11 days, uh, during the 11 ga- days, and to the point where they they call it now the Global Unity Games. So, uh, and in fact, this year they're expanding it uh, to include the weekends before and after, uh, but that was... Um, uh, that was due to you. So thank, thank you, Sandy. And um, I also wanted to mention that Sandy, I don't think it came out yet, that, but Sandy is the, uh, one of the featured speakers on the Telesummit as well, speaking on, on the theme mm-hmm. of, of, of women. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to mention ah, that. Thank you, Rick. There's your generosity once again. <laughs> <laughs> Your gracious yeah. generosity, yeah. No, well, then again, it's you know, it it really is the platform that you provide for for uh, folks like us to say, how can we give back, or what more can we do, or how can we work better together. 
Um, so, and, and right now we all really need each other, don't we? You know, what, um, we, we want to be better complementers, not competitors. It's, thank you. First, I just have to say, if I can uh, drop in here, Philip, it is sure. such an honor to be on this call with you. And of course, you know, with, with Mitchell and with Rick as well, um, I want to just say, I don't want this to go unsaid, the generosity, speaking of generosity of the Shift Network, really um, is so, it's awe-inspiring. And um, you, you really do provide the space for that creative, practical, accessible new narrative to emerge. And it, it comes from all of us, you know, for inviting, you know, just such a whole host of, of people to come and talk about a whole host of different diverse you know ways of healing and and serving um it's simply extraordinary and it's what's so necessary and you really have leveraged and done a a brilliant job and continue to um managing the technology of it all you're such a stellar example of what we could all Mm -hmm. do in the spirit of generosity and complementing one another and it is really selfless um in that way um, because it's really focused on our common healing. And I just am so grateful to you for that. And to Stephen and everybody at the Shift Network. So I wanted to say thank you. Okay. Mm. That's yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Well, we feel that way you, about, about them, too, here at A Better World, Sandy. And mm-hmm. so if you know yeah. <laughs> So we've had Stephen on as well on radio and TV here at A Better World. And it's to help support exactly what you were saying, this uh, – kind and compassionate perspective and seeking to bring it to consensus. The more people that listen and tune in to the Shift Network and to uh, the 11 Days of Global Unity and the we work that Rick is doing and what we're doing here at A Better World, we're really, you know, I I always feel that we're heading toward that hundredth monkey effect that Rupert Sheldrake talks about with morphogenetic fields. You know, we get enough people feeling good about being alive and being in love with life and being in touch and connected with one another. We're going to pass a certain threshold that is going to allow us to make this the way things really are on the planet, sort of what we always dreamed about, what Marcia Eliada, the great religionist and mythologist called, you know, the paradisal beginning, and it could be the paradisal continuance of of our human uh, species. You know, we all imagine that there is a way of being. Uh, what is the book by Charles Eisenstein? You know, the more beautiful world we, we know in our heart exists. It's that kind of, uh, I feel we have a somewhere in our DNA, this real deep understanding and knowing that this exists and you think well why does the world look this way then doggone it and um we've all of course in our own way set out to do something about it and clear the field so to speak of the stuck chi as we say in chinese medicine and move on toward a much greater flow of the Tao. you know your thoughts I, yeah I, I would oh, love to comment on that i would love to if that's all right you know really Please. um this is what I call addressing the, you know, our communal neural pathways. 
if you will, you know, yeah. neuroscience has done so much work on understanding the neural pathways and when, and, sure. and, uh, you know, this is something that we, we can really benefit from. But when you think about the, the behaviors and those core characteristic patterns in a community, how do we break through? How do we disrupt those patterns? The ship yes. network, we, the world, your programming, it does that. And how do we do that louder and prouder? My challenge and my question for you all, all three of you, is how, you know, of course it has to start with me and it has to start with my community and it has to start with our low-hanging fruit, if you will. But really, how do we cross, you know, transcend the boundaries of those who aren't willing to have this conversation, who think, you know, what I'm saying is woo-woo, if you will, that's a common word mm-hmm. I hear, or I get the eye roll, you know, and there you go again, talking about peace. Well, how is it that we, and, and I recognize that this is fear and that scarcity model, or, or perhaps not, perhaps it's just, you know, who they are. And I have an answer, Sandy. I actually you. have an answer. Okay. It's called okay. Jewish humor. <laughs> I know a thing or two about that. It does not <laughs> fail. It does not fail. You know, these guys started as busboys on the Borschfeld in the Catskills. Okay, how do you go from being a busboy to a waiter and then on stage of some of the greatest? Uh, stages in the world making people laugh until they want to cry by telling them the truth but showing the humorous and satirical side of the way we interpret reality. So there really is an answer. It's through, I mean, you know, of course I'm being a little funny with this, but nonetheless, I really feel that there is a truth that is conveyed through humor, and it's that light touch that allows people to relax. And if you want to think about it from a neurophysiological point of view, you get the release of stress at that moment when someone smiles or if someone laughs. There's an exhalation that goes with it as well, like, ah, you know that feeling. That is a true, real expression of a moment of inner peace and of connectedness because that's how we feel when we've heard some truth speaking in a humorous way. That's my piece. Mm. Philip, what are your thoughts? You know, I, you know, I, yes, definitely, definitely humor. <laughs> and I was just Googling to see if I could find this quote from the Dalai Lama. It stood out to me like two decades ago. He basically said that, you know, media could, I'd have to find it, but basically by media really focusing on our common humanity can really further promote further peace in the world. And, it, you know, and Sandy, yeah. that question is such a, that question, Sandy, is one that I'm living with a lot. And, and because, because I'm asking, you know, how can the shift network go broader? And, but, but when I was working at search for common ground, you know, they, they had media programs that were just phenomenal across sub-Saharan Africa you know, within mm-hmm. a year of the genocide in, Bur- in Burundi, had Hutus and Tutsis co-producing radio programs, and oh, and so there's lots of examples. I could, yeah, and it, it would at least 90 percent of the country, mm-hmm. and a U, and after 15 years of that, USAID, one USAID officer told Search for Common Ground and said that program helped prevent genocide, and oh, and so I've seen I've seen I've seen media programs. 
saturate entire countries. In Sierra Leone, there was radio programs. We did it. So that's been a question I've been living with, too. It's like, because, it, I mean, I, if there was more time I could outline. There's, there's a pattern when there's fear. We narrow our identity down to one. Uh, we, there's stereotyping, demonizing, dehumanizing. The amygdala gets mm-hmm. triggered. The fight, flight, and free <laughs> kicks in. But when you focus on media programs and things where people can rehumanize the other, uh, it, there's a whole – the neuroscience, you know, the amygdala relaxes. You know, the centers of the brain for compassion opens. So, so in terms of – that's the question. I'm, I, I think humor is wonderful. There's been some great work with humor in difficult conflict situations. So, so more and more of that. One of the challenges I see is a lot of the media today is actually doing the inverse of what Search for Common Ground was doing in Africa. You know, instead of focusing on the, the commonalities, it's focused on the extreme positions, which amplifies its power mm-hmm. and creates fear. But there are there are some really creative media programs that are coming out. Uh, a friend of mine works in, in in Hollywood with scriptwriters and producers that in, inspires the major TV programs. So I, I think in terms of large scale, I think there's some creative media work that can be done, uh, more work that can be done in addition to what all of us here are doing. Um, yes. And then I think I think longer term is you know education getting you know there's more and more peace and compassion work going into schools. I know that um, John Raymer and my friend and Sandy, you may have been part of this, and Emily Hines had worked with getting compassion education into schools in the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so and it, so yeah, it, it's a question I live with all the time. I'm looking for bigger solutions, you know, in media and as well as the longer term systematic ways. And then as the swamis in India would say, it's all natural intelligence and it's all kindness. So multiple different responses there. Um, mm, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank you. You know, I thank had, you, I had some ideas from years ago. Oh. Uh, yeah, Rick, please. Oh yeah. So, um, sure. And thank you, Sandy, for posing that that question, how do we break through uh, to the other side, kind of. Um, and one answer that I have uh, been uh, thinking about and part of, and I think all of us in a, in a certain way, is the arts. The arts, music and the arts are Absolutely. a way that, mm-hmm. that's like the universal language. I mean, there we have, over the years, mm. we've had participation from groups, uh, musical groups, uh, like there was one, I forget the name of it now, but it, it, it had um, uh, Israelis and Palestinians in it. Uh, one time on the, uh, on the Telesummit, uh, I think it was the first year that we did the Telesummit, we had uh, someone who was part of an orchestra uh, uh, composed of uh, is, uh, Israelis and, and uh, Palestinians. Um, so the music and the arts, and I did want to mention also that on September 21st, uh, as part of 11 Days of Global Unity, there's going to be something called We Unify. It's the We Unify mm. concert in Austin, Texas, and it's going to be live-streamed. Uh, mm. And it's, a, it's being called a transformational concert based on yeah. love, care, and, and respect. And it's it's you know culminating the eleven days on the 
International Day of Peace. And so it's kind of the inspire in the, in the, in the formula that Philip <laughs> mentioned earlier, inspire, inform, and involve, you know. So with, mm. the, with the arts, humor, um, you know, all those things, uh, it, it can be very inspirational. And then you, then you uh, reach people at the heart, at the heart level, and and so whatever they may have heard, you know, intellectually about things, then that can get uh, absorbed in in at the heart heart level. So with um, with We the World and the and the We campaign, we're that's kind of how we're looking at it too. Uh, with the the idea of the We strategy is to to promote we as a consciousness, a collaboration, and a campaign. So that's, that's how we're answering that, that particular question. So we as a, as a consciousness is about expanding our circles of caring, concern, and empathy to the entire web of life. Um, and then the collaboration, uh, that's the idea of building giant super uh, coalitions of coalitions, movements of, of movements, uh, which we're engaged in. And then we as a campaign is when you have all these groups working together, um, intentionally working together, then the, the various programs that can be done together, like the International Day of Peace, like 11 Days of Global Unity and, and all of these things, the women's movement the women's march that took place after the inauguration, uh, the presidential inauguration this year, uh, kicked off so many different ripples of of people, women coming together, um, and and all of these. Uh, the, it's collective awareness and and action. It's community building, is what I hear you saying, Rick, and I feel that on so many exactly. levels, and I think that that's just so important. As you were speaking, I was thinking about something that we haven't touched upon just yet, but in answering the question that Sandy asked that you know Philip struggles and deals with all the time and reflects on, and as do I, I think all of us do, um, how do we bring our humanity, our species, to the next level? Um, as sentient beings and caretakers and stewards. You know, just nature herself, spending time mm. in nature mm. as a group. You know, there are, I used to be part of something called uh, the Wilderness Awareness Group School, uh, and we used to go from the New York area down to West Virginia, where a fellow, actually a vice president at ITT, donated his big, beautiful farm to some of us, uh, including uh, Jake Swamp and others from the Iroquois Nation, and we, uh, all, whole families would come down for, for a week and spend time in nature, learning about herbs, learning about different crafts. The kids would go, uh, the 13-year-olds would go on vision quests, and there was something about just relating to nature and the natural world that brought people, brought families together and taught people to respect and honor nature and each other's nature. And we, there was, I saw it before my very eyes. I saw families transform and sort of fall in love with caretaking, and they didn't want to be involved in 
acts of violence against each other or against nature herself, such as, you know, the fossil fuel world, um, mineral exploitation, et cetera, et cetera. So spending time with one's hands in the soil, farming, growing things, these are all incredible ways, if you think about the multi-billions we have across the world and in places like Africa. I mean, most of the world is agrarian, for crying out loud. So we can, everything becomes, with the right attitude, a mode for creating peace, whether it's in this classroom or whether it's in a film studio or making media programs and Rick, right before you began talking, I was starting to share that I had a fantasy of writing, um, of writing soap operas. My wife sometimes likes to, used to watch soap operas, and I used to watch them and be so bored just to spend time with her. And I think, wait a minute, this is an incredible tool because I remember being in small villages in India, and they had one TV for the whole town, and they were all watching an Indian soap opera. What an incredible opportunity to bring forward the values of peace and compassion and friendship and love and respect for nature. You know, in other words, use these things that would otherwise be, you know, oh, well, we are beyond that, right? Well, God, billions of people watch this stuff. How can we use it to our collective advantage? Just some thoughts. Yeah, definitely. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because, you know, I I used to write music for soap operas. <laughs> but, but not, but not See, we've got contacts already. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I wrote uh, for three years. I wrote half of the music for all my children, uh, like orchestral, you know, it's like 25-piece orchestra, can you imagine? And Another World, um, oh my God. Uh, As the Stomach uh-huh. Turns, as they say, we used to call it As the Stomach Turns. <laughs> so it sounds like I need to galvanize the women and start um, a reality TV show called The Real, Real Housewives of Orange County. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we really need a reality, yeah. you know, shot in the arm about what really, what, what's really happening in our community. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been completely delightful, and I think that we proved the idea of the value of humor and a light touch right in these last minutes here of how we can transform our beautiful planet. So I want to thank you all uh, for being on today. We're just about out of time, but I want to say, Rick, if you would, uh, please um, share with our audience the ways they can tune in to the Telesummit and the other aspects of what's going on. I want to thank Sandy Hart and Philip Helmick again for being on with us today. It's been a true deep honor and pleasure to have you both along with Rick Ulfick, of course, of uh, We the World. Yeah. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Come back again. Yes. Thanks to everyone. And, uh, yes, the the easiest website to remember is we.net, W-E.N-E-T. And uh, especially the the summit, uh, so you can hear Sandy and Deepak Chopra and and all all the others. Um, you can just click on the link there, and it'll take you right to the registration page. 
Um, and people can uh, get involved and spread the word about this, too. I think that's, that's an important part of this. Uh, right on we.net, right at the top there, we have resources for collaboration and action. So people's organizations can get involved. And, of course, there is the Global Unity Calendar, which can also be found right at uh, we.net. The, the Global Unity Calendar has uh, the events from the Compassion Games and all of the other um, all of the other partners that are involved with 11 Days of Global Unity. And it's a free public international calendar, so people can post their own events from around the world, and it's very powerful. You can sort on the different Beautiful. categories. So anyway, thank you again, That's Mitchell. Great. This has been fabulous. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you all. From the depth of my heart, I just had so much fun. What a beautiful hour in my life. <laughs> Thank you all. <laughs> so appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. This is Mitchell J. Raven. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And, uh, you know, Rick Ulfick is always up to such good in the world as are all of our guests here today, Sandy and Philip, and it's just uh, – it's beautiful to see, and I want to kind of reiterate uh, Paul Hawkins' point about a superpower. Today, folks, you had a chance to hear some of the spokes of that wheel, some of the real elements of this superpower that is in action and pressing forward to create a new and better world, a new reality, a new perception of what's possible, the fulfillment of the human potential of this notion we have, we really have, of a, of a paradise on earth, of a heaven on earth that we can really create. This is not just kid stuff. This is not just airy-fairy, as Phil said before, or, or uh, Pollyanna-ish. This is born out of serious, real, sober commitment to changing. And, of course, we're changing our neuropathways by doing it. We're habituating health and happiness and well-being and love as our real, normal, instinctive reactions to each other instead of what has been part of the program, part of a media program, um, part of even a parental program uh, and a school program of unaware people of what's possible. And uh, there are those of us who are very much in the driver's seat and pushing forward to change that consensus to a consensus we've been talking about for this past roundtable, this past hour here at A Better World. So thank you again for joining. My name is Mitchell J. Rabin. Remember that we have a free newsletter that you can get at our website, abetterworld.tv. It comes out every week, uh, once a week, and it announces our weekly radio show, uh, and it also announces our weekly Monday evening television show here in New York City. Remember also that we are a 501c3 we so appreciate any donation. We feel it's an investment in a better world and creating that better world by helping us stay on the air and sustain in the work that we do by giving voice to all of the beautiful work that's taking place and what you heard about today on today's show. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.